Let's start in Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at three times in the Bible. Actually, the only three times this phrase is found. We're going to start in verse 38 of Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas were preaching. They had just been sent out on what we call their first missionary journey. And in verse 38, it says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That's the phrase I want us to to look at this morning, is the forgiveness of sins. You know, that word is what makes true Bible Christianity different than every other religion in the world. I've told the story on several occasions, but uh, this was many years ago. I believe in the year 2000, I had a, uh, a man call me up and, and he said, I, I'd like to have a meeting with you, preacher. I've, I've since learned that if they don't want to come to church, uh, they really don't want to have a meeting with the preacher. And uh, his entire uh, purpose in this meeting was to convert me to the religion of Islam. And uh, so, as we began the conversation, he began showing me different things out of the Bible. And, you know, sometimes you, you just wish you had an answer to, to really give, and the Lord gave me one that day. I said, sir, I said, I can tell you the difference between your religion and mine in one word. He said, what's that? I said, forgiveness. I wish I had one of those cameras that would have caught him. His face flushed. He's in my office talking to me. He stands up and pounds on my desk. And says, there is no forgiveness. You do unto others what they do unto you. I said, that's the difference between your religion and mine. He said, my God forgives. That was the end of the conversation. You cannot give forgiveness to someone who does not want it. And yet, how many different quote-unquote Christian religions are there in the world today? I'm talking about places where you go where, where a, a preacher will open uh, a Bible. We're not even going to argue about translations and all of those other things that that sometimes come into play, and they, they open the Bible and they say that Jesus saves, and only through Jesus can forgiveness be given, and then they add all these other things to it. You know, we live in a world where we say things we do not mean. What is one of the greatest lies that we often greet each other with? How are you doing? Do you really want to know? How many of you have asked the wrong person that question? 
And their answer is, do you have an hour or two? It's going to take at least that long. And you know, I, I really didn't want a life history this morning. I, I just wanted to say hi. Well, then don't ask them how they're doing because they might tell you. Are we allowed to laugh in church? You see, the simple truth is we use this word a lot. But do we really understand what it means? The forgiveness of sins. You see, we get upset about sin that bothers us. Isn't it true? I mean, if someone told a lie about you and tried to defame your character and tried to hurt you, would that upset you? Hello? I mean, there'd be something wrong with you if it didn't, amen? Please lie about me, defame my character. Uh, 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 I like to use the illustration. It's actually out of the uh, Navy Blue Jackets training manual. An officer was walking along the deck. He heard two sailors and one was cursing the other. This was back in 1942 or 3. Someone gave me the book and I was just flipping through it. And it said, the officer found these two men and one sailor was cursing his fellow sailor. He said, I put them both on report. The one sailor for cursing his fellow sailor. The second sailor for not objecting to it. Because that meant it was probably true. You know, those days are gone. We, we really need to. God has not changed His Word. When we come to church on Sunday morning, we, we come to worship God. And if we're going to do that, it must be done in a way that God will accept. How many of you understand the fact that God is very particular about what worship He will accept and what He will not accept? Could we say amen to that? Because God is a holy God. He's a specific God. I've heard people lament and say, I just wish God explained it to me. He did. About uh, 1,500 and some odd pages as it's printed in my Bible. Uh, When's the last time you read it? God explains everything we need to know here. And it's interesting, as Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey and their first sermon that's recorded as they went traveling out was in a synagogue, and this was their sermon in verse 38, the the height of it, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness... Of sins. 
One theologian used this illustration. He said, your life is a cup. And by obeying God, you get grace put into the cup. And by disobeying God, you have grace taken out of the cup. And that explains forgiveness. You say, Pastor, something's wrong with that picture. Well, if you know your Bible, you know nothing could be further from the truth. And yet we're influenced by those things. And sometimes we live by those things, even though we understand that God has forgiven us for all sins. We get upset at the sins that upset us, but do we get upset at the sins that upset God? Do we understand what it really means to have forgiveness? It doesn't say the forgiveness of some sins or the forgiveness of the sins that you confess or or forgiveness of sins that you've already committed. It says the forgiveness of sins. I'd like to ask our theologian a few questions. How much grace does it take in the cup to get you to heaven? What happens if you have extra? What happens if you're just this close? Shouldn't there be some way to make it just a... You know, men have answered all of those questions over the years. They've come up with sacraments and purgatory and a religion of works... And doing good things. You know, all false religion offers a way for you to pay for your sins. Have you ever noticed that? Only the Bible. Only Jesus. Only this word forgiveness says you can't pay for your sins. That's what forgiveness is about. I don't like the way the word forgiveness is used in our modern society. Do you know that you can go to a judge and you can have your debt forgiven? I mean, they just mark it off the books. Do you know that that's not, has nothing to do with the biblical idea of forgiveness? You see, if I owe a company X amount of dollars, and I can't pay that debt, and I go to the judge, and, and he forgives that debt, where does that debt go? It goes into the vast pool of what we call the economy of the United States. And every American citizen now becomes a holder in that debt, an ower to that debt. It's got to be paid. Are you following me? When God uses the word forgiveness, He's not taking our debt and putting it on someone else's account. 
Because we preach forgiveness of our sins in this man, which is Jesus Christ. You see, He forgives my sin because He put it on His account. Do you get that? You see, God is perfect in His bookkeeping. Made me a little nervous. We were opening new accounts this week in the, uh, in the bank and trying to get things done and just made a comment to the man across the desk there as we were filling in papers that, you know, I just don't believe in uh, getting the church accounts close. They've been to the penny for all 21 and a half years our church has been in existence. We don't, we don't play games with money. Because it's not mine, it's, it's God's. It's money people have given to God. It needs to be accounted for. And he was like, wow. And I'm going, maybe we chose the wrong bank. I don't know about this. I am not an accountant. I don't, I don't like accounting. But I will tell you this, I do it. Because I want to have a good name. Amen. God is a perfect accountant. In fact, if you would like to see the books in heaven, read the book of Revelation. It talks about the books in heaven. They're going to be open. And there is going to be a perfect accounting of every sin that was ever sinned by any human being in all of the time that man has lived on the earth. I mean, stop and, and imagine that. Every sin that has ever been sinned by man, they tell us that somewhere around 12 and a half to 14 billion people have lived in the history of the world. And every one of them was a sinner, according to the Bible. And every sin's been written down. When God talks about forgiveness, what He is talking about is His payment for our sins on our behalf. That's how God forgives us. And by the way, there are many ramifications we just don't have time this morning to get into but something to just think about as, as later as we go through the message uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about God's forgiveness of our sins. But I want you to stop and think about something. If God is willing to forgive you for all of your sins, what right do you have to hold against another human being their sins against you? Now, that's not this morning's message. But it is something that needs to be thought about when we bring up this term forgiveness. My forgiveness of other human beings is not based upon my goodness or my ability to deal with other people's weaknesses. That's not forgiveness. That's pride, which is the greatest sin 
in all the Scripture. My forgiveness toward other people is based on the fact that Jesus has paid for the sin. I'll let Him take care of the debt. Amen? Now let's start in Acts chapter 3. 13, I'm sorry. And let's look at what it says here. Let's start in verse 36. It says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to stop right there. And what we're going to start with this morning, only Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Have you ever listened to the stories of different religions? I mean, the Orthodox and the Catholic religions have huge cemeteries and crypts all over the world. In fact, if you've ever visited St. Patrick's Cathedral to look at the beautiful building and all of that, you can walk behind the altar and there's a set of stairs that goes down and you can actually look through the gate that is there and you can see... The sarcophagus, the open casket, not open in that sense, but open in the fact that it's not buried. The caskets of former cardinals that have uh, 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 proceeded over the events that happened in those buildings. You go to monasteries. There's one monastery, Orthodox, somewhere in either Turkey or And they have this huge collection of human skulls. And those were the monks that lived and served in this thing. I I went into a, a church in Canada one time and they literally had taken the heart of the priest that built the building out of his body and preserved it and put it in a little box so everybody could come and look at it. That religion is not about life, it's about death. I don't need relics of dead people to have faith in a living God. That's one of the reasons why we have an empty cross. Because it is finished, amen? We believe in a Savior that has come back to life. Many people preach a resurrected Christ. I think of, of um, Ellen G. White, the founder of what is now the Seventh-day Adventist movement. She said, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ, but if you're going to be saved, you've got to keep the law. Oh, wait a minute. Isn't that offering you a way of paying for your salvation? Oh, it most certainly is. 
I believe it was one of the many imams that represent Islam in the world that says, your problem, this was many years ago, says, your problem in the West is you think about living. We think about dying. He was just being honest. Let me tell you something. A religion based upon what you do is a religion of slavery and a religion of death. It was not Bible Christianity that... uh, Oh man, his name just went out of my head. Uh, The founder of communism had in his mind when he said religion is the opiate of the masses. It was this work your way to heaven religion. And he understood exactly what it did. It was a tool in the hands of the priest. It was a tool in the hands of the uh, shamans, in the hands of the... Uh, of the um, uh, uh, priest of all religions, Eastern, Buddhist priest, Shinto priest, the samurai, all of those people used religion to subjugate souls and to exercise authority over other human beings. They talked about forgiveness. But if there was forgiveness, why did the bondage continue? You see, Jesus was the one that said, I've come to give you life, and that life more abundantly. Amen? He said, if you'll know the Son, the Son shall make you free. And the men that were standing beside him looked at him and said, we've never been in bondage to any man while the Roman soldiers walked up and down the streets of Jerusalem. The simple truth of the matter is, if you sin, you're the servant of sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The point of this sermon is today, do you have that gift? You see, only Jesus resurrected from the dead. Paul was preaching to Jewish people. He said, David saw corruption. We know the tomb of David even to this day. Whatever remains may be there are still in that tomb. David died. But Jesus died. But on the third day, He rose again from the dead. You do not get to heaven by believing in David. You get to heaven by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read on. It says, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. You see, Jesus was superior to David. But as Paul was preaching, he said he's superior to the law. He's superior to Moses. Verse 41 says, Behold ye despisers and 
behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. You see, Paul was quoting Habakkuk. He was saying, you're not going to believe it, even though someone declares it unto you. Now, I want to be very careful how I say this. Just because you have heard the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, just because you believe that story, that that you believe the facts of that story, that does not make you saved. Are we together on that? There are many people who have those facts. In fact, they call them C.E. Christians. Show up for Christmas, show up for Easter. Maybe it ought to be E.C. Christians because Easter is more important, right? Uh, No, God is not impressed when you show up on Easter or Christmas because true forgiveness of sins is a truth that you must live every moment of every day. And all God's people say, you see, only Jesus resurrected from the dead. And therefore, only He can give you salvation. I am so glad that I can tell you salvation is not in church. It's not in baptism. It's not in anything any man can do to you. Salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ because only He can give us. Only He can offer the forgiveness of sins. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and this is the second place in our Scripture this phrase is used, and we're going to look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches... Of His grace. Only Jesus is resurrected from the dead, giving us physical proof that He has the power to forgive sins. But I want to challenge you from Ephesians. We look at this same truth in a little bit different light. I want to challenge you that only God could afford to pay the price for sins. Only God has the riches capable of paying that price. The riches of God is not measured in gold and in things that we value here on earth. They paved the streets with it up there. If you paved the streets with something, that means it's good, but it's not the most valuable substance that you have. Amen? Um... The riches that he's talking about is the blood of Jesus Christ. You talk about a precious commodity. 
It is sufficient to pay the price for every sin sinned by mankind. And yet you can only have it if you ask Him by faith. You know what? Paul said, you're not going to believe the message even though we declare it unto you. But God wants us to understand. It's by His riches. God has taken Himself at His disposal in His plan. He revealed Himself to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And we've often said, how does that play out as we are, the Bible says, we are created in His image? Well, the first thing that we notice about a human being is what? Your body. We see it. It, It's what we pay attention to. Uh, Jesus was given a body. Amen? But your body is not all you are. We're not like dogs. Or cats. Or even the wisest of all animals, the dolphin. I get so sick of people worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Amen? You're smarter than a dolphin. Trust me. Even though your report card may not reflect it, you're still smarter than a dolphin. soul of man, God the Father. But then we have the Holy Spirit. And that's where the image is broken down. Because God told Adam and Eve, in the day they ate thereof, they should surely die, and Adam died. That part that God had created in man to have intimate and constant fellowship with God. Died. That's why when you get saved, when you believe on Jesus Christ, when you obtain the forgiveness of sins, He takes His Holy Spirit and loans it to us. It is the earnest of our salvation until we are assembled together on the other side in a glorified body, which the Bible says we will be one with Christ. People have often said at a funeral, I'm just not quite sure how this all is going to work when I get to heaven. I mean, I love my wife. I I love my husband. Uh, uh, They have uh, been with me all of these years. And I just don't understand when I get to heaven that we're not married or given in marriage. No, there's no intimate relations between believers in heaven. Because we'll be one with Christ. I will be closer to my wife in heaven than is ever possible to be closer to her on earth. Because we will both be one in Christ. And you know what? There will be no differences of opinion in heaven. Won't that be wonderful? 
There won't be anyone. I don't see it that way. Well, tough. Here on earth, we're going to have disagreements. We can't get past that. But when we get to heaven, there won't be an opportunity because our hearts will be in tune through our spirits to God Himself. We'll be all tuned, if you like music, uh, we'll be all tuned to the same fork. Amen? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody even know what a tuning fork is? Okay. I'll tell you what. How many of you have ever listened to the trumpet section out of tune? Oh. Stephen's practicing his banjo and I'm going, stop! He says, what's wrong? I said, it's not in tune! He says, it sounds okay to me. I said, it's killing me! I may not be able to sing it, but I can sure hear it. When we're in heaven, we're going to be in tune with the Spirit of God. Wow! The forgiveness of sins. Maybe we ought to start practicing a little bit here on earth. Ooh. You see, we have redemption through His blood, comma, if you like uh, grammatical terms, we're going to have an appositive here. We're going to restate the exact same thing in different words. The redemption, and we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's the same thing. It is His paying the price for our sins. How do we get that? Well, it was God's will. It is God's plan. Some people get all excited about predestination. Look at verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. And all the Calvinists are going, oh, yeah, predestinated. He planned it all. We're da-da-da-da-da. Uh, excuse me. Will you stop looking at yourself and start looking at what God intended? God did not intend for there to be halfway Christians. He has one mold that He wants to conform us to. That's what the predestination is speaking about here. God has one standard and He wants every believer to rise to that standard. If you're saved, He wants you to be saved all the way. God doesn't believe in halfway Christians. He doesn't believe in, in people who get saved by the skin of their teeth. He doesn't want that. He wants each one of us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why? Because when I'm obedient to God, who has the greatest blessings? Me. You. 
How do we have unity in our church? When we conform to the image of His Son. When we become His children. I'll tell you, we probably don't do this as often as we should, and and we don't travel as much as we have in the past, but we used to sing songs in the van. And uh, all 10, 12 children singing along, and I'll, I'll tell you what, when the children were following the direction of the Father, we had a lot of fun. But you know, a 15-passenger van, it's a long way from the driver's seat to the back seat. And some of those children get singing a little faster or a little slower. And I'll tell you, the noise was unbearable. When it talks about being the children of our Father, it means we're supposed to obey Him together. Amen? And we do this based upon the riches of His glory. It says, "Wherein Wherein He hath abounded, verse 8, toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. How many of you would like to have the solution to that mystery? What is the mystery of His will? Read the next verse. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all the things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. You know what the mystery of God is? That He would take us filthy, unregenerate, non-heritage people, Gentiles, and put us in the same body with the descendants of Abraham through Isaac, his chosen people. You know, there's some people get upset about that Jewish thing. Let me tell you something. They don't have what's talked about in the Bible. Because his mystery is to put us together from all walks and from all time periods. That one body we can serve Christ. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 quickly. The third place in the Bible that this is mentioned. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You see, only Jesus rose again from the dead. That's why he can offer us forgiveness. Only God, through Jesus Christ, has the riches capable of paying for our sins. But there's another element to this that I want us to get a hold of. And let's go down, let's just start in verse 14 and read on down. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 
For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. I want to challenge you that only through the forgiveness of sins can we recognize Jesus for who he is and give him the position that the Father wants him to have. You know, it's not a complicated thing. But God wants His creation to recognize. He wants you and I to agree with Him in His opinion of His Son. And I use that word opinion because when God has an opinion, it is unmovable, unchangeable, and uh Totally, completely correct. But God is telling us that in Him should all fullness dwell. That in everything He should have the preeminence. If you could somehow obtain forgiveness through something that you have done, how could Christ then have the preeminence? It's not possible. If some man had power to put his hand out and lay it upon you and say, I absolve thee of all thy sins, how could Christ have the preeminence? Well, are we still together this morning? That's what this passage is talking about. You see, we don't gather here together to worship Baptist doctrine or some great Baptist preacher. I mean, we have people in history that we, we enjoy, and I have men uh, uh, that uh, I, I give respect to, but there is no one that's mentioned in the same sentence with Jesus. There is no one that we give any honor to other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, He translated us into His kingdom. That's verse 13. And by the way, He did a whole lot better job translating us into His kingdom than the modern Bible translators do with their versions of the Bible. Amen. Um, sorry, that's another sermon for another day. Uh, but when He took us from this kingdom of sin and earth into His kingdom of eternal righteousness, He did it right. He did it all the way. He predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. He has a plan for us. He has a level of holiness that He wants us to attain. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is not only the creator of this world, He is the sustainer. It is His power that holds everything together. That's why I'm not so worried about global warming. I think Jesus can keep it together. 
That's why I'm not so worried about all the atomic missiles and everything that are all over the world. Because they're not going to do anything unless he gives it permission. Because he's in charge. I try not to even be worried about Congress. Have to work on that one. Because I see so many things that are going wrong with our nation. It breaks my heart. But you know something? My loyalty is in the Creator. My hope is in Him who had the riches to pay the price for my sins. My hope is in Him, only Him, who owns an empty tomb. You see, God gave Him to be the head of the church. Why? So that those who have the forgiveness of sins can join together and bring worship to Him in the way that it is due. How do we accomplish that? It's by the surrender of our individual lives to Him. You know, we do not sing the hymns as an exercise. We sing the hymns so that you and I can combine our voices and our souls in praise to him who should have the preeminence. That's why I don't like none of this Tommy Rot that goes around uh, like uh, what Brother Clayton says. Johnny, get the rat trap, rat trap, rat trap. Johnny, get the rat trap. That's what it sounds like to me. Say, you just don't like the new music. You're right. I despise it. Because it's not worthy of him that has the preeminence. We want to sing songs that were written and music that is separated to him. Because we want to hold him in the same place that God wants him to be held. And as we do this, guess what? We have to understand that he's given us the forgiveness of sins. Because no sin can be allowed into his presence. You know what? There are people that are sitting in this auditorium this morning that are saved. And they're still trying to pay back God for the wrong things that they've done. Uh, that's not forgiveness, my friend. Forgiveness is understanding that Jesus paid for it. That when he said, it is finished, that means there's nothing left for me to do. Someone say, you presume upon God's grace and you would go out and do anything that you would want to do and expect God to forgive you. The Bible says, God forbid. But which of you would hold up your hand today and say, I have not sinned since last Sunday morning. And if someone were so bold to raise their hand, I would challenge them that they had just added another sin called lying to the multitude that they just weren't holy enough to pay attention to. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? You see, we've got to get our eyes off the sin and on the Savior. And all of a sudden, the sin won't be so important 
or prevalent in our lives. If he has the preeminence as he should, guess what? We'll enjoy that forgiveness of sins. How many people have been trapped by the devil into thinking that they have done something that God would not forgive them for? Let me tell you something. If God has refused his forgiveness, you don't care. If you have the least spark of desire in your soul to be concerned about God, that is the Holy Spirit knocking at that door. And if you'll open it, he'll give you an understanding of your sin and its shame and its horribleness in the sight of God and bring you to that point of repentance where you will confess your sins to Him and He, because He is the resurrected Lord, because the riches of His grace and because of His place as the fullness of the Godhead bodily located will forgive you for your sins. And He will allow you to walk with Him and to serve Him until He takes you home. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, it is with feeble effort that tried to Preach this great truth today. And yet, Lord, we know that you want us to have and to live in the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I ask that you would work in the heart and soul of every saved person in this auditorium this morning. that they would stop looking at themselves and what they're doing, but look to you and what you're doing. Lord, I pray for the unsaved here, that they would understand that only in Jesus, only by His riches, only through His power, can we have the forgiveness of sins. They would turn from religion, from hopelessness, to the Savior, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we would ask that you would work during this time of invitation, that a sweet-smelling savor of repentance, of strength, of encouragement, of a desire to serve you, would be acceptable in your sight as our worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's.